talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Good evening, good morning, welcome, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of The Dropped Kickoff. My name is Nick Wasiliev. I'm here each and every week, um, and I'm joined by the usual suspects uh, once again. First of all, uh, Nick Hartman. Nick, how you doing, mate? Yeah, great, mate. What a bloody ripper of a game on the weekend. Um, And I'm not talking about the NRL Grand Final. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I kind of find it funny that everyone's... uh, it, it, there's been there was a lot of talk on Sunday about about all the events with Mungo Ball, but of course uh, it was of course that Wallaby winning streak, which we'll get onto in a second. But also I'm joined by Jack. Um, Jack, how you doing, mate? Yeah, feeling good. We're back on top of the world. Um, still world champions heading into the spring <laughs> tour. So vibes are good. Yeah, things are things are feeling good. Things are feeling optimistic. Um, finishing up as Runners-up of the uh, of the rugby championship is something that I think all of us here didn't see as coming, as something that we'd, we'd see coming. We were talking about two out of five, and here we are standing down the barrel of a four out of five result, which is out, which is amazing. Um, but last of all, uh, taking a stealing all of Hoss's uh, incredible uh, wizardry with the with the pen, we are joined as well by uh, RA's cadet journo, car park CEO, and chairman of the Christmas Club, Mr. William Nathanson. Nathan, how you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> he, he left out master of the Uber Eats order there, but I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, I'm not going to lie. I think we've actually, because we're here with our, with our Q&A segment, which we've first for a little while. Um, and I must say the demand to get Hoss on the pod was actually almost as strong as the actual questions that we got <laughs> for this week. So, um, look, the, the demand's there. I'm he- we're hearing you, and we actually do are now more interested in getting Hoss on the pod than ever before. So, uh, Hoss, uh, expect the call in the next couple of weeks because uh, the, the audience they want you. They want you now. Um, they need more. You need to come up with more, with more glossary of hossery of nicknames uh, <laughs> that you've got there. Um, but boys, let's talk about the end of this rugby championship. It's been such an interesting series. Tapping it off, uh, the Wallabies uh, finished up as runners up. All Blacks, of course, went out and won the competition, but. This weekend, it was a it was a very interesting uh, couple of games on the Gold Coast. The Wallabies uh, finished up winning with a bonus point against Los Boomers, uh, 32-17. Um, and then we witnessed an absolute thriller um, with the Springboks finally getting back to winning ways, uh, winning 31-29 uh, against the All Blacks with those last five minutes. I feel like I must have had three or four heart attacks um, in terms of who changed sides first. Nathan, you got in terms of an entertaining product, you can't be much happier with with this rugby championship than this, can you? I mean, it's been great. I would I would put it up there with some of the best that we've had so far. Like we've had what? How many games go down to the wire? I think we had the one on the Gold Coast. You had the um, both South Africa and New Zealand games went right down to the last minute. You had shock upsets with um, Stray betting South Africa twice. And then have all the drama in between. Like, it was perfect. And I think it, it finished with an absolute classic between New Zealand and South Africa. I, je- I mean, 
it, there's probably a couple of games I'm forgetting, but I would generally put it up there as sort of a leading contender or a short price favorite as the match of the year so far. It, it had everything. It was great. Yeah, it really did. It was an amazing. It was just like you had your drama, you had you had everything in between. You had uh, alternating, you know, leadership changes. It has been such a fantastic series. And I think that 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 match kind of capped it all off. You've had the you've had all of the drama that happened on the field with which team's the best team in the world, and then of course we forgetting that Argentina has probably been the 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 real <laughs> the real drama the drama makers off the field. First of all, with that photography shot, and then with with six players going getting stuck on the wrong side of of the border. Um, it's it's been a very strange season season, but an admittedly incredibly entertaining one. Um, Nico, I mean, Wallabies have, st- have won their f- one four on the trot for the first time since 2017, first time ever in the entire history of both the Tri Nations and the Rugby Championship. Um, where do we sit right now in terms of this? I mean, this is this is a weird. You've been we've been saying throughout all of these podcasts that it's been a weird but a good feeling. Um. Is it? Do we dare to think that we go into the rugby championship with a sense of of optimism, or a sense of well, not not necessarily a sense of optimism, but a sense that hey, we could be staring down the barrel of winning a couple on tour? Uh, yeah, like it's sense of optimism. Yeah, certainly. Um, look, and hopefully, hopefully, we really just keep going in the um, yeah, when we go up to Europe and Japan. Uh, it's it is it's great though because you probably like next year and who knows with COVID and all that sort of jazz. But next year you could probably see South Africa figuring their shit out, um, like they kind of did. I I think they faffed around a bit, um, quite literally, um, with their players uh, in the first two games. So I think they'll sort their shit out and they'll be a lot better next year. And maybe Argentina will sort their shit out a bit. They're a bit, they've been a bit poo. Um, but yeah, for sure, I think it's just great. The Wallabies are playing really well. Um, I, it's and I and you know I can see that, but more so than the Checker years, it's not just like a roller coaster. It's actually building towards something, and it's smart. Like we played the same game plan, and it was kind of smart, but you know, just set pieces of lineouts and uh, and real sort of uh, up the guts and into them sort of stuff. That's been great, and uh, it's worked wonders. And like, yeah, like Nathan said, beat the Springboks twice, amazing. Pumped the uh, Argentinians, great. We're just so much better, so much better than the France series. Which actually, I was thinking about as well. All, all the great games that Nathan talked about, all three games of the France series were great as well. And I think it's crazy. We've been really spoiled. <laughs> and then you, you know. <laughs> like the like the rugby league grand final was pretty poo until the last what ten or fifteen minutes. So <laughs> it's 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 awesome. It's really awesome. We've just got a. It's just so much better when sports competitive, and it's I think international rugby is in a great state at the moment. Yeah, it's look. I, I think th- this year has been it's been especially notable. I mean, at least for me personally, I've really. Um, not being drawn towards rugby league, maybe because I think that looking at that, uh, how that competition's been, there's just been so many blowouts. There's such a clear 
difference between the the guy the the pecking order in terms of the the, the the teams at the top of the ladder and the teams at the bottom that you'd often have entire rounds where you'd have blowouts left right and center and it would really just it made it such a a, a boring product to watch quite of similar to super rugby in 2016 when we were losing to the uh, to kiwi teams left right and center um and you, weirdly enough rugby has been giving me that has been seeing me through lockdown has been seeing me through this lockdown time because i mean apart from you know the blood is like cup which was you know three test matches that were incredibly frustrating where the wallabies beat themselves by psyching themselves out um in addition to the all blacks just being amazing as they always are especially at eden park um there's been a lot to like there's been a lot to like about the wallabies this year there really has um jack i got a question for you because there's been so many standouts uh, for uh, for the Wallabies and you know players in general across this competition this year. Who's been the standout players for you? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great that we've you know got all these standout players that we can talk about. You know, everyone's you know through through the South African tests and through the Argentina tests, there's been a lot of people stepping up. So I, I think you can't can't go past you know the the redemption arc of, of Cooper back onto the uh, international scene, just like. You know, playing like that fly half that we've needed for a while, and and his combination with Karevi has just been so dangerous. Um, and then you got Kellaway, who's you know try scoring machine, Ginger Ninja out on the wing. Um, and then in the forwards, you know Michael Hooper, tough as nails, reliable, wouldn't let you down. Um, you know, true grit sort of player. And and I think Valentini as well. He's really stepped up. Um, and then there's Tupo, who's just the most you know, well-rounded prop in in world rugby, I would say. So there's a lot to like about this this squad now that we've got them, you know, coming and 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 ticking over with with some games and and some time together and and building that uh, continuity. So yeah, let, let, let's just take a moment to you know revel in this you know rugby championship that's happened. Um, four wins on the trot, as you said, and I think you know back back when the uh, the rugby championship started, we were you know happy with what. Three wins, you know, two against Argentina and one against maybe this box or the or the or the uh, All Blacks. So to get four wins, beat the world champions twice in a row, I feel like you know a lot of people have jumped back on the uh, the Wallabies bandwagon and people are wearing their Wallabies kit as they you know strolling down um, the boardwalk and and showing yeah. off their pride in their jerseys. So yeah, I, I yeah, guess everyone's back on board and and we'll carry this momentum forward when we verse Japan. I guess there's something to sort of temper this positivity, and I'm sorry, but we just got to say, pessimists come out. <laughs> at the, so okay, it was awesome when uh, Pattaya had to go off, not because he had to go off, but because we had two hookers on the field. That was amazing. I love those sort of meme events, kind of like when a wicketkeeper bowls or whatever. And uh, I think it was Hooper finally got his chance to run out with the backs like he's he's always wanted to. But we we we, we, we lost a lot of shape there, and we kind of went yeah. to shit. And yeah, that was a bit worrying. And I don't know if that was because it was just a weird thing, and they was like, oh crap, actually, how does this all work? Um, but that was a bit worrying. And I don't think Gordon was that great when he came back on. No, he wasn't. He really wasn't. It was. You could tell there was a key. Like there was a real step down between white and yeah look we are, yeah he just seems slower to me 
he seemed a lot slower and he either that he was trying to like either that he was trying to it's just his style maybe i'm being being too critical looking into it but there was just a key uh, lack of cohesion between gordon and o'connor i think there was there was talk about mm-hmm. the decision to actually swap the the 9 the 10 and the 12 all at the same time I think was a played a big factor in that mm. because I real th- I think everyone I don't I don't think O'Connor's been playing firing on all cylinders at all, um, and there's a real sense of a lack of cohesion there. But yeah, it was that last twenty minutes did raise a lot of questions, particularly about that yeah. that wallet bitch. That the cohesion as well is such a big thing as you mentioned. I think it's some like yeah, I, look, personally, uh, yeah, I up, that, up until that, I think you're you on with that. What I was just going to say is that. When you look at that first Argentina game, that nine and ten combo coming on was your Reds super rugby combination. So like, when you compare it to a nine, ten, twelve of which was I think Gordon O'Connor, and it ended up being maybe Reese Hodge with Tom Wright coming on. Like it was, and you're up, you're up twenty nine points as well. Like it was gonna, it's gonna be chaos. Like mm. it's just one of those things. I, I wouldn't read in, I don't, wouldn't read into it too much. I don't think you make the same moves if it was seventeen fourteen. So, yeah, it was yeah. a bit chaotic. That is that is the takeaway from that. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's, we still uh, finished with a. It's encouraging to see that we can make those substitutions and um, you know, get through the get through the game, um, in pretty pretty good nick. Uh, I mean, we were, you know, we we're very much in control. Of, uh, up until that 60th minute. I think, yeah, I, I agree that the flood of the subs um, on the bench was probably not the best move, um, considering Jordan Pataille, like, pulled his hammy in, like, the 30th minute. So he yeah. was out there for a, for a while on, on one leg. So I don't know why they didn't pull him off earlier. But um, at least they all got game time and we could see, you know, some of these um, new formations and, and testing the depth. Um, and it was good that we, you know, still came away with a comfortable win. And Wright played well when he came on as well. He, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, well. he he put in a good showing. Yeah, but the only my only question from that was because I mean I know there was a lot of guys getting rested that you would normally traditionally be on the twenty on in the twenty three like your Tate McDermott's and you know your other equivalent players who are all bloody. <laughs> I'm just covering a blank, having a blank right now. My one little worry was that the you know your. Um, that the guys in the extended playing squad who were coming off the bench um, might still not be on that same level, might not be showing, having a showing at the same rate that, you know, the, the guys from the previous week had, like, you know, your Kai Tui's, your McDermott's, you know, your, I mean, Tom Robertson as well was not there either. Um, look, it's it's good that they're getting a run. And who was there, probably... Nick? Who was there in, in place of Tom Robertson? Uh, Greg Hunt, it was Anchor <laughs> Bell and Holmes. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> was it the great story that, like, um, Bell was, like, four years old when Greg Holmes made his debut or yeah, something I know. Like <laughs> <laughs> It is, yeah, it, it does. It, I, it is kind of amazing, isn't it, seeing Greg Holmes come back. He didn't. He had a pretty decent showing as well. It was also it was nice to see that see the ball finally get go back out as well. Sean McMahon. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, you didn't have. We didn't have the chance to talk about Sean McMahon. How do, what do we? How did we think he went? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, I think it's, it's yeah. 
Talking like a, a back row in, in a side that was at that stage going backwards. Like, you can't... The game's already wrapped up. Like, I mean, I think you had a couple of good touches, but nothing that, uh, that, nothing that makes you sort of sit there and go, all right, yep, we need to play him number six. And if, if we don't, the world's gone mad. But it, it was solid. I think that's all you can say about it, really. Yeah. Look, it'd, it'd be curious. I'd be curious to see how he goes. You know, if he if he sticks with the squad and he continues on uh, as we head into the spring tour. But let's dive into the uh, into the into the meat of this podcast, which is the Q and A. We've got six questions uh, to cover. We got a lot. We got hit with a lot of questions uh, this week off the back of you know people are interested in rugby again. So you know we're getting a lot of questions from uh, from folks in the general sphere. Um, first one we got was uh, it was more of a discussion point uh, from a bloke from called Tomato Lemons. It was it was also aimed at Squidge rugby but we got included in there as well uh, as a potential topic of conversation because he uh That's right Lemons, now, please. yeah we're, we're, at, at, squidge's we're at squidge's level we're at squidge's level i give my it to be as remote as able to, to to examine a game as well as squidge can that's how you know you've made it um but t- tomato lemons uh, did a great example yeah, to great, yeah no <laughs> uh he he had a, he did an examination of penalties and yellow cards for every team in the rugby championship. Um, Australia was by far and away the most penalised team in the uh, with, but with 85 uh, penalties and four yellow cards. Argentina was 81 penalties and six yellow cards. New Zealand with 55 penalties and one yellow card, and then South Africa finishing up with 71 penalties and five yellow cards. Um, it's the, and, the, and the question that, that or the, the question or the point that tomato, that tomato Lemon said that there was a good 25, 35% difference in the penalty count and a ratio of penalties to yellow cards. And he kind of was, it didn't ask that this was an indication of how little defending under pressure New Zealand actually does within their, whenever they're playing the game. Um, we have talked about this in the past that, you know, whenever New Zealand are in their 22, uh, they are happy to give away penalties and occasionally yellow cards where necessary. Um, I'm going to throw to you first, uh, Jack, for this one. Uh, looking at these numbers here, what do you, what do these numbers uh, tell you about how, what New Zealand does compared to uh, the chasing pack in the rugby championship? Yeah, bloody hell, these numbers are over my head. Um, but uh, but yeah, as your point made, you know that they're very they're very tactical, especially the All Blacks, uh, of how they give away penalties and where they give away penalties and and what they do. Um, under pressure, so um, that there's such you know a disciplined tight well discipline I don't know, but a tight unit that they can absorb that pressure, um, you know, and, and, and niggle where they can and and, and you know play the dark arts uh, um, and get away with those you know five percenters that um, you know make them the best team in the world. Um, but it's surprising you know to see you know the South Africans and and their penalty count as well. Um, and, that, and I think that's a reflection on, you know, how tight they play and how, um, how how brutal they can be at some time. Just um, you know, relentless. Yeah, it's it's. I do think it, it does definitely suggest some interesting numbers there around around the actual usage of penalties and how and the where they conceded them. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask. Uh, Nick, I, I want to know this kind of your thoughts on this because I think I recall it was Pollard um, after the first loss of the box to the Wallabies, where he, he did that that 
that press release where he talked about how um, the Wallabies did a lot of stuff off the ball that, and then he was calling out the rest for not penalizing them, basically doing a, a mini Rassie. Um, and talked about how that, that, that stuff there needed to be considered more by the referees. Do you think it's a simple case of New Zealand knowing and being aware of where they're going to get penalized and where, and what they can also get away with? Um, because I mean, the, the numbers are just the, the numbers in terms of their penalty count compared to everyone else is much lower. Yeah, these are these are crazy stats. So everyone else seems to be within what's a standard deviation or whatever it's called, except for New Zealand. Um, I don't really agree with Tomato Lemons's conclusion that it's because how little defending under pressure NZ does. Like I, these yellow cards. Well, for one, the yellow cards are for all sort of different things. It might just be because New Zealand doesn't do head high tackles and got that out of the way. Um, but I mean, when we played at New Zealand, we went great, and Argentina's not great, so that's four easy games for them. Um, I, I I I don't know. Maybe it's just I mean what Pollard said. Like everyone does that. Uh, New Zealander was on the ground of a ruck and tackled the guy standing behind the ruck. I remember, close to the end of the game. So teams just do it all the time, especially this off-the-ball stuff. And it always switches. Um, remember a couple of years ago when they were penalising teams for advancing in front of the kicker at kickoff or the kicker, kicker not bounce, like kicking it from the centre of the field? Um, I just keep changing. Like I, It's interesting. I, I'd really want to know the analysis on why people think this is. I've really got no clue um to be honest it's just i think what hundred apologizes is like everyone does it so yeah i don't know and i also jack i don't know what you did with your mic before but you sound a bit like barry white i liked it <laughs> he was staying alive yeah he was... <laughs> that, that's a bg's hey, nick that's bg's oh yeah god jesus Hang on, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I've made a tendency of saying something outrageously stupid in every single podcast, and there it is, without fail. Um, <laughs> uh, Nathan, uh, there is one stat that I do find particularly interesting, um, and I think it's been fair to say that w- when it comes to discipline, I'm not surprised to see that the Wallabies are the most penalised side um, out of these statistics that that Tamara Lemons has given us. Um, Particularly, you know, we've noticed that in that second half, there's been so many instances where they have really copped it uh, at the, from the whistle, uh, you know, whether it be down at the ruck or at the scrum or whatever it may be. Nathan, what do you reckon's going on with the Wallabies and what can we do or to try and get to a level similar to at least South Africa's numbers in terms of the penalty count. What do we? Is it just a simple case of of similar to the Reds, where there's an over enthusiasm and a lack of or a maturity that still needs to be built out, that still needs to be built, or is it just a case of just a tactics thing that we need that we just need to to tinker with a bit? I think it's not a tactics tactics thing. I don't think we you can kind of put it down as as a lack of maturity because I mean have a look at. Look at this question made me sort of go back into the start of the year, or start of the international year. You look at those three games against France. Now, the Wallabies, in that first game, we conceded seven penalties. In the second game, let me just wait for this to land. Oh, sorry, yeah, so it goes six. I think the second game is 12, and the third is nine. Now, that puts, puts us on average about, what, not, about eight or nine penalties a game as compared to 
this figure, which puts us quick maths, is about 14 penalties a game. So I don't think it's a sign of there's no there's lack of maturity. I think it's just just this. Can I say how weird? I think it's a, it might actually be a bit of a positive sign that well there is improvement in this Wallaby side. When you listen to Dave Rennie after a match and how it's one of these things, you wonder you're on a four match winning streak and but how can you be grumpy or as he likes to call it in reviews? And I think he's looking at these these stats that Tomato Lemons has put together as well and is seeing that we're just giving away still giving away those dumb penalties. In, I think I think what's changed is we, we might be doing it less in dangerous areas. I haven't got the stats to prove that, but that's just the theory I've, I've put together on the spot there. But I think it's just one of those things. It's it's just a, another area that this side needs to improve on. I mean, I don't think it has to do with sort of how little New Zealand defend under pressure, even though they might get away with certain things other teams may not. Unless I'm going to put it lightly like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think it's just it's just a sign that this side is still improving, and the fact we should honestly look at the fact that even though we've conceded the most penalties, that we've still somehow managed to come away with, as we said at the start of the podcast, second place in, the, in a rugby championship with yeah. essentially four out of six wins. Like it's, I think it's just a sign of there's still improvements and there's still areas in these wins that we can kind of tinker with and still get better, which is. It might be a half glass half full way of looking at it, but I think it's 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 promising stuff that we can still improve. There's still areas we can look at and go, yeah, we need to tighten that up. We need to stop that. Instead of looking at it of, well, the Kiwis might just defend under pressure less than we do. Yeah, look, it's. I think it's a, a, a you know, it's a, the, it comes down to the idea of you know tinkering with. You, when you are a coach, you're always trying to. You're you're never achieving perfection. There is always things to work on. Doesn't matter, you know, if you're if you're the coach of the All Blacks or, you know, your local you know coach your, your local club coach. There's always things to 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 work on and improve. And I think if you are you know losing the penalty count, but you're still winning. Um, you're still winning the the games all up, then at least something is going right, and there and that is something that can be fixed. So you can try and hopefully maintain that run. Um, it's interesting. Um, cheers, Tomato Lemons, for the question. Let's move on because all the rest of the questions, uh, pretty much, or most of them, pretty much cover uh, where we're going next, which is this uh, upcoming spring tour. Um, and we're kicking off with a whole bunch of questions that uh, Alastair Walton on Twitter um, flung at us, which was. Basically, first of all, asking for some news on Karevi's injury um, and also when we're going to uh, get a sense of when that spring to- uh, squad tour is going to be announced. And then he finally finished by asking, is Japan a chance to run some of those uh, guys with, who, you know, without a lot of game time under their belts? And who who, who does he think, uh, who does he think that Rennie will try and experiment with um, in terms of going into that game against Japan? Or will they take it seriously? Will they kind of name a strong side? Because... Japan has has shown that they they can really put up a fight. They've knocked off a lot of tier one nations over the last few years, and um, you only have to look at that series that uh, match earlier this year against Ireland in Dublin that they nearly won to show that you know they're much uh, they're a much they're not the they're not the Japan of old. They're a much stronger team and uh, and have earned that tier one uh, that tier one. Uh, ranking. Um, Natho, as our resident uh, RA cadet journo, um, I'm going <laughs> to throw to you first for when the spring tour squad is being announced and uh, any news on Karevi's injury. Do we have any knowledge on that yet? All right, let's go through the list. Right, so, um, Karevi injury, 
Um, I think he had scans on Sunday from all reports. I think he's definitely a chance to tour and feature, but by the sounds of sort of reports that came out Sunday, probably misses the Japan game, maybe back for those sort of final two, possibly three games in that spring tour. Uh, when's the squad being announced? Uh, Rennie said during a presser later in the week. I think they, they head off next week, I want to say. Or we'll, you'd think, given it's, a, I think the game's on the 23rd. So I, you, it makes sense to name the squad at the end of this week for them to fly next week and then sort of get set, settled in for a week. Is Japan, uh, as, is Japan a chance to run some of those guys? Well, yeah, I, I think we, we do have to be wary of not taking these guys lightly. I mean, they are still coming off some in, impressive form and have a... I mean, I think the only thing for them is it's been a while since their whole domestic competition has finished. I'm not sure. Have they played much test matches? Has no, none really come to mind. No, no. I think the last test matches that they've played was probably those July matches, I'm pretty sure. Part of their July tour. I can't remember. I don't recall any other games. Um, let me look. Let's let's get the let's let's quickly look it up and see if the, if Japan have played any other recent games. But to my knowledge, I think the last games that they played was uh was in uh was in July. Yeah. They, so they, played, uh, they, they played a warm-up game against was it South Africa or the Lions? I think oh, it was yeah, the Lions, right. yeah. Yeah, Lions as well. So if we Yeah, they, they might be a little sort of rusty, but I get I would I, I think this is a chance you give some of those I think Rennie called them close selections. Like a bit of a run before that Argentina game. So again, Sean McMahon starting at six. Um maybe Try and try another hooker out. Give Kai two, or even just say to a um, Lachlan Lonigan, "Here's the starts. Let's see what you can do." Um, maybe give Noah a game, uh, or Tom Wright a chance to start at wing. Just, I think you don't go crazy, but give it enough that you, if, if you want to see how a particular combination works, like you bring a Hunter Paisani back into the centres and work, sort of solidify that partnership with Ikatau. I think, I, but I wouldn't be all of a sudden going out like blooding six or seven different guys and just handing them caps. I think it's got to be like, sure, this might be a chance to give a Hooper a rest. Although I think in order to do so, you might have to just tape him down for that Saturday game and somehow not let him leave the hotel room because otherwise he, he will be playing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, good luck, good luck stopping he, him. He, like, <laughs> I, I refuse to be that guy that's that's telling him, "Hey, hoops, yeah, mate, just just take this game off." Because by the time I, by the time I've, I've gotten take the game off out, like, he's probably crash tucking me to the ground and just pulling on the, that seven jersey. So I'm not not being that guy, but yeah, just try those fringe guys, maybe those guys that are coming off that reserve bench, and just sort of test new combos, but nothing too extreme. Yeah, look, it's it is it is an interesting it is an interesting one to talk about that, and a lot of these other questions that we have talked about that we have coming up. So after this, kind of touch on this subject a little bit, but it is this Japan game is an interesting one. It really is an interesting one because on the one hand, you do have a lot of momentum um, right now. The Wallabies have a lot of momentum. People are watching it. The the people are really interested in the brand. Um, it's and on top of it, it's it's shaping up. If 
if the you know if they win this match that you know it's going to regardless be a, a positive series positive season under Rennie um, for the team um, in terms of actual win to loss ratio. But you know the the question of depth is always something that that comes up, and you don't want to. It, it's it'll be probably about striking a balance, I think. Um, Nick, if you were Rennie, what would you do? Would you would you blood the boys, or would you kind of do a mix of both? What would you what would your strategy be around here? Uh, here? I um actually saw this really interesting comment on our last pod, like in the comments of the last pod on Green and Gold Rugby. Um, I think his his name is M I N M N I M D, he or she, not sure, who said, yeah. "Look, you know, when Checker was coach, he just kept." blood and new people all the time what we just need now is a few wins under the belt to get confidence back to get interest back like you said people you know building up that interest again and 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 love and um and i think that's what he has to do um and and nathan i want to know if you've heard anything about this but i saw i think on twitter or something someone was just saying look japan are preparing an ambush i don't know if that's crap or you know actually based if anything but yeah i think we should uh, keep a steady ship. Maybe change one or two positions, like you know, Sean McMahon at six, mainly because I want to see Sean McMahon. But um, I think that's what he has to do, and just focus on winning. We can't take Japan for granted. I mean, I, I'm not sure about an ambush, but I'm assuming after sort of every game, when you play, not only a tier one nation, but a nation that's now ranked third, they're going to be able to make a statement. I think also. It's it's an interesting subplot that's now come into it that you realistically, or if he was fit, you would you'd be having the likes of Cooper, Karevi, and McMahon all going up against their some somewhat their teammates. So I think they're they're going to come back come out better than what people expect. But I mean, on, on our day, we should even if we give those fringe players a chance, we should be good enough to still extend this winning yeah. streak. And, and Karevi got plenty of experience running through Japanese guys. <laughs> what do you, Playing what in do Japan. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Look, it, I think I think Japan... I mean, we there is no secret that they're not the biggest folks in the world, but you don't need to be the biggest folks in the world to, to win a game of rugby. Um, and what they have shown is that, you know, they have a fantastic, you know, strategy. Um, they play fast, uh, free-flowing rugby, um, and particularly under Jamie Joseph, they're really showing themselves to be one of the slickest teams going around um, in terms of just sheer uh, ability. Um, so th- there's a lot, there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to unpack in that in that upcoming Japan game. Jack, what are your thoughts on this one? Do you reckon it's a, it's a case that, that, uh, that we prepare for an ambush, or do you think it's a, a, a case of throw caution to the wind or short-term potential, the potential for short-term pain um, with the promise of potential long-term gain when you come up against the likes of England and, and Wales uh, later down the track by giving some guys who haven't had as much game time more game time in a game like against Japan. Yeah, well, you've got to remember, it's like the last game of the year that's in prime time. You know, Jap- Japan's in sort of our time zone. Um, so it'll be it'll be the last opportunity for the um the, the public to, to see the Wallabies run out um, at, a, at a decent time slot. So I think you got to go with your, your strongest team 
you know, ideally the, the Wallabies should be set up that you have, you know, your set team with your, with your superstar players. And then you have these fringe guys fighting for those, you know, questionable spots as, as Nathan touched on. I think we still got to find our best hooker, still got to find our best six, um, probably got to find our best fullback. So I, I think those are the sort of the only um, key positions that you really play around with. Um, it all it all depends on who's you know um, coming into the squad, who's opting in, who's opting out. Because we've got to remember that um, they're carrying they're going to be carrying a light squad. I think was it only you know thirty two or thirty four or, or something 36, some sort of number 35 like that. Thirty five or thirty six is, is the yeah. word. Yeah. So you know we we, we got to wait till the actual spring tour kicks off before we get some of those players from um, Europe. So um, yeah, I, I think we've got to be very careful. Um, with this game, um, you know, Japan and no slouches, they're coming up in the world. Um, get them in the rugby championship, I say. Um, and it'll be a, be a good test and a big good hit out to, you know, keep that uh, momentum going and that continuity um, within the back line and, and forwards. Yeah, and uh, look, it's 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 important that you mention uh, that point of, of stars and stuff because uh, this leads us on to a good question that Hugh posted to us on on Twitter. Uh, Hugh, longtime uh, Gagger reader, um, longtime fan of the pod. Shout out to Hugh. Um, so he talks about, and this is a, this will be covered in a few questions uh, in the next two or three questions. But he didn't want to get about, he doesn't want to get ahead of ourselves. But what experiments do you want to see on the spring tour, and what do you think Reddy will do? Um, he talks about, I want to see Parisi um, and the Euro Big Three for the pack, i.e. try and get Latu, Arnold and Skelton um, that and hopefully try and get Lalesio to have some minutes along with Pattaya, um, obviously pending how he goes with his injury. Um, let's let's throw this as one experiment each to all of you. And I'm going to go to you first, Nick. Um, what's the one experiment you want to see on the spring tour that you'd like Rennie to try um, going off Hugh's question? Uh, Hugh's suggestion is actually pretty good. I, I like that um, Lalesia Pattaya one. Um, I'd love to see if that can work. And and like I've said before, we just got to see if we can work without Karevi and Quaid and all that sort of jazz and see if we can build more of a, uh, a a team ethos rather than, you know, individuals. So, yeah, actually, I'd like to see that one. Um, Lalesia and Pattaya, I'd love to see that again. I'd love to see, actually, Lalesia just get start another game as well. Um, but I think there were rumours that they might not take him on I don't, uh, overseas, but I don't know. Look, it, to be honest, looking at looking at uh, how O'Connor went, at the moment, Lalesio is impressing me more than O'Connor in terms of even if you had him coming off the bench for a little bit. Um, I feel like O'Connor's still a little bit rusty. No, um, And no slouch, mm. and I might still take O'Connor on the tour, but I feel like in terms of if you're going to have a, a starting 10 at the moment, in the event that Cooper goes down, um, Lalesio is is seems to be perform has seemed to be performing at a better level than O'Connor to me at the moment as we speak. Um, it's it would be nice for him to get some some time uh, some game time because you know it's, we haven't seen him since that night since that afternoon in Perth. I don't know where he is. He's been he's been MIA. Um, so it would be nice to see Lalesio back. Um, Jack, who do you what's the what one experiment would you like to see? Um, happen in the uh, in the Wallabies come this tour. Um, I think that I think they're moving towards this direction, but I like to see you know having a rusted on starter and having you know a young apprentice um, backup. Um, so you know go with 
go with a Quade Cooper with Lolesio on the bench or vice versa or, um, you know, experiment with a starter but have a, you know, a bona fide um, sub that can bring impact off the, off the bench um, to, to back him up um, and just get develop that balance between, you know, um, you know, rewarding, rewarding people with a start but also having, you know, that succession plan where we can have um, – a substitute come on, get valuable minutes and get valuable game time. And, and that's developing long-term in the future. So the, the spring tour is a great chance to, uh, to try that out. Making it sound like Star Wars, like master and apprentice. <laughs> yep. Grasshopper. You need grasshopper. You need a Yoda, grasshopper. A, Yoda and a, a Yoda and a Luke, a Sidious and a, and a Maul or a whatever. I don't know. I haven't watched those movies that's in it. ages. And I, I don't think, um, you know, for yeah, for example, you have Hodge starting at fullback and then, um, you know, test out Andrew Calloway, um, bringing him onto the bench and, and giving him 30 minutes towards the back end of the game or, or um, you know, have have Slipper and, and, and bring on Angus Bell and, and that sort of stuff. And that's how you develop um, long and, and, and trust that the, you know, the subs can come on and, and do the job. Yeah, I think they, I do think that that it leads into a good point about about what's happening with that bench. Um, and it looks like there does there is a bit of work that needs to happen there. But you know, who knows? Natho, uh, what experiments would you like to see happen happen on the spring tour, and what do you think they would do? I think most of them already been sort of Nick and Jack already covered. I think getting more getting more time with Callaway at fullback just as just as a sort of second option. And he went back there last Saturday, so. You've got to think he he's the next man up if if something if Hodge gets cramps or something along the lines of that. As for Geordie, I this is going to be a bold bold call. It's not really an experiment, but it, it is it's a bold bold take. I think I'd rather see Geordie Bataya stay at home and not go on the spring tour. Whoa! Very what? bold. Very bold. Very here's bold. The, here's the thing. He's still so. Still so young, his body I don't think is there is just there yet. Like we, as we saw, he he said yes. I, I was in the press conference when he was saying his body hasn't felt it's felt the best in years. But he took that knock on the weekend, comes off with cramps, and when you think about we have we have depth at wing. It would have, you start asking the question? Would it be better that he actually gets a full preseason in? Like, has he realistically has he? Has he had enough time to just well with, with the limited game time that he's had? It, would it be best that he just kind of focuses on getting that fitness up instead of sort of we take him overseas and then all of a sudden ask someone that's had injury troubles in the past to just go straight into a Reds preseason? That's that's the experiment I would like to say to be honest. If, if we're going to leave Harry Wilson at home, which is what's been reported by Christy Doran. If we're gonna and we're gonna leave sort of these younger players at home. I think you ha- you, you seriously have to consider leaving Geordie Retire at home. I know Rugby Reg would probably you know glass you for that one. Um. Oh, he's, he's gonna kick you off the platform for saying that. But he's gonna kick you off. He's gonna kick you off Gagger for that one. But I, like, I, I generally think you, you do have to have that conversation because like we. And we, we do have that depth. I mean, Vinavali could be, I'm pretty sure, will be fit by the time the end of the year tour comes around. You have Tom Tom Wright stepped up and showed that he is still a very good player, even though we, a couple of games against France kind of dropped him down the order. You get Corabetti back, 
realistically, he's probably only going to feature off the bench for you if during those sort of big spring tour games, if you make that sort of assumption that that back three will be Corbetti, Kellaway, Reese Hodge. Like, what would be what is going to be best for his development if we if we're serious about looking long term? Yeah, look, it's it, bold, definitely bold. Leaving the grasshopper at home, it's a it's a tough one, but you know, it, it'd be an interesting one to see. It'd be an interesting one to see how it goes. It goes to show that we have been talking that about how we've been surprised that there there are depth options going on right now um, with the Wallabies, and I think that. When you are leaving the likes of, you know, blokes like Matt Tamua, Harry Wilson, um, Lalesio, and off your point, potentially Jordan Pattaya at home, um, and you're taking the, the, in terms of your, you know, the guys who, who aren't going on the tour, definitely does say a lot about about the squad that you're taking and the, comp- the competition for positions. Um, before we move on to the next question, my one point on this would be, um, you know, we... I feel like right now a couple of positions, particularly specifically some playmaker positions, are still kind of up in the air. I feel like Hodge um, has done enough to retain the fullback position, um, at least for a bit. Cooper, of course, obviously has nailed down the 10 uh, position. Um, He's playing very well. But Hooker, I think, is still something that we really need to work on. I wouldn't say that Falafoyinga has been disappointing. I wouldn't say that he's been underperforming. but I do know that, you know, Lockie Lonigan, Kai too has have, have also been kind of they haven't no one's really kind of put a stamp on that role. Um and if you bring Tolu Latu back into the mix, um, Yeah boy. Pull Tolu Latu back, suddenly that creates a lot of competition bon for that bon. position. Someone's gotta to have to put their hand up for the hooker position. And I really want to see a hooker um stand up. Really do. Um come out of those guys because there's there's a lot of talented a depth there and someone needs to take that jersey someone needs to take it grab it get hold of it and earn it um let's move on to red's revival question this was on the gaga chat um and on that point uh, uh red's revival said there's possible there's talk of curtly peel putting his hand up for the spring tour hashtag just no um as well as possible selection of Tolly Lasu, rory arnold and big willie skelton the question they're asking is how many imported players, quote unquote, are too many, and will this affect the development of the younger Wallabies? Which is a good question uh, posed on the Gaga on the Gaga channel. Jack, I'm going to throw to you first for this one because there has been a lot of talk about, you know, uh, the European contingency of the the European uh, group of the Wallaby of Wallabies uh, who are there. Willie Skelton, I think, has made it clear that he would be interested in playing. Um, what are our thoughts? Uh, would this? How many imported players are too many? Yeah, it's an interesting one to see who they pick up. Um, I'd love to see Curly Bill back. I know everyone is down on him, but <laughs> there's I a bit too about him. it. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, get the three Virgos back together. That'd be. <laughs> That'd be, that, that, there's your fairy tale ending. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not as convinced as um, as many other people are bringing the likes of yeah Latu and 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 Skelton into the team. I don't, I don't know. I could be wrong and happy to be proven wrong, but I don't think they add much more value than people that we already have. Um, especially Will Skelton. I think you know everyone's praising him in France, but I. Th- I think if you look at his game, like the the uh, the problems that he went away 
um, to Europe with a still there. It's these, you know, work, workload is, is impacting the carry, that sort of stuff, and 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 jumping the line out. I don't know whether they've gotten any any better, uh, um, but I like the idea of having these these guys based in Europe that we can bring on the spring tour. So it'll be it'll be cool to see them back in action. Um, get to see. You know, players you haven't seen for a while um, in in the Wallabies, and, and I guess that just um, and if they go well, uh, that just that just feeds into this um, you know positive positive energy that the uh, the Wallabies are generating um, so much. So I, I think that that leads into you know the likes of the you know what are we going to do with the kiddo law and and things like that. But I think. Um, you know, rugby in general is sort of trending towards that soccer model anyway, where where people um, all over the world can can play for the nation. Um, I think we just need to safeguard Super Rugby, but that's a that's a story for another day. Yeah, I feel like that's a Q and A that'll that'll take that'll, that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's a conversation that'll take up the next like three or four hours. We could talk about that for one, that one forever. Um, Nathan, do you think that? Uh, I mean, it's it's a great point. That, that Jack makes here. I think, you know, the, we do have, you know, Matt Phillip, who's who's been, you know, showing a lot of great potential, uh, you know, this international season. Isaac Rodder's been playing well. Um, Darcy Swain has been really playing well. Um, and, you know, we're also talking about the fact that the likes of, you know, Salakai Loto isn't even in, 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 the, in the squad, um, potentially. Uh, the... The question is, even if the you know you have the likes of Arnold and Skelton coming in, um, will they actually be able to make it into the squad? Especially considering how you've had the likes of Sean McMahon, who people have been saying has been playing some of his best rugby in Japan, has had to really work to get to the level that Rennie wants him to be. Um, first of all, do you think they could even they they will automatically slot into that starting Wallabies position? And if so, do you think that if they do do that, how will that impact be on some of the younger players in the squad? So I don't think they've slotted in straight away. I think, especially in that position, you need time to work out combinations and work out essentially what system the Wallabies to put in place. I, I think they... I, I, I don't mind bringing those people in, even if it's just... I, I think it, it proves a couple of things. I think the first one, we touched on the young guys. I do like that idea of... Like last year, we were thinking we have to start all these 20 and 21 year old kids and sort of, sort of give them that experience. And yes, well, that's all great. And that's something that eventually needs to happen. I do like this idea of that they're close, but they're just not there. So you have, they have to work harder going next year. And you're pushing for, still pushing for um, improvement and not getting complacent, thinking I'm, 20, I'm 21 and I'm in the Wallaby side. So I think having those, having those, being able to go, well, we can just call up Skelton and all these guys is a nice sort of incentive to get those guys making sure that, that as I said, that combination is never stronger. I think it also what it also does is, uh, and what could be crucial for making sure Super Rugby stays strong is it just allows Dave Reed to get in their ear and be like, you know, guys, you, you enjoy the style we're playing. You're enjoying what we're doing here at the Wallabies. I can, get, I can get you back in, but you know how I can get you a better look? You know how I can watch every game and see right up front? How about you come back home? Come to Super Rugby. Come, come for 20, 2023, just come along. I come show the young grasshoppers how it's done. <laughs> come. Be, 
Sensei, because I think there's actually a really when we talk about those Europe bring those European players back, I think what I think that's why the story of Andrew Kelly has been so important is because Andrew Kelly hasn't been picked for his European English form. He's been picked because he he came back to the Rebels all of a sudden gotten got on by playing in Australian rugby was back on their radar when probably. I think Dave Rennie has even admitted himself that he wasn't in squad plans like a month before squad selection and is all of a sudden one of the first players selected. So I think there is something in not only sort of getting these guys' ears, but looking at a story like Kellaway and understanding that and reinforcing that, yes, well, these bringing these players back for these times is great. And as long as that when they're standing out in these big leagues, they can sort of come in and bolster a squad, but, also, just still reinforcing that idea of whilst these these big names can come back, the best way to get into a Wellby squad and what will always be the best way is returning home and playing for Australia. Or playing in Australia. It definitely does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely does. I mean, like, this has, I think, been a, a secret to a lot of success that, like, the All Blacks have had because there's the pressure to perform because if you don't perform, there are six more guys who will who who can slot into that position um, who will take it with both hands if you do not. So you have to take, you have to uh, perform. So I think that there is a real, I, I get you, I get it. It's a, it's a great point. It's a great point that you raise because um, if those strong whippersnappers don't perform, then you've got guys who we do know who can perform who are right over their shoulder. And additionally, you're in that, you're in that squad environment. Um, the chance to bring those guys potentially back who knows? It's a interesting one. I haven't thought about it's. It's a it, the idea of if with with of this question started. If you, will this def- affect the development of the younger Wallabies? But it might actually do the opposite. It might create more co- competition uh, for positions. Nick, do you th- what? What do you think? Do you, are you as optimistic as Natho in terms of their inclusion, or do you think it is a, a potential case that it might be uh, more potentially negative uh, having players like this? Uh, the more senior players in the squad with the younger guys? Um, well, Jack said, you know, we've got to get on board with that, that soccer style thing. I think that's inevitable. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, and I, I'd probably try to air my thoughts out one day about why it's such a mess and what do you do. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's inevitable. It's inevitable enough to deal with it. Um, a lot of people might say cohesion, whatever, but I mean, Ben Darwin's cohesion theory is still a theory, and you know, to protect his, uh, I guess, business secrets, he never really seems to delve into why he says what he says with any sort of detail. So, you know, look, I, I think South Africa's World Cup team was, you know, dotted everywhere, like they weren't all playing for the Stormers or the Lions. So I don't think it's a huge issue. And I think also with Nathan, like Nathan's right, like it will still be Australia-based. And look, you know, they could just do it every little bit way that we can still have that cohesion because, um, you know, Noel Alessio grew up playing with, um, what's his name, Uh, Tate McDermott, you know, in in the under-20s or whatever at State. And then, you know, still when they come back for the Wallabies camp, they still know each other. So I think it's fine. I think it's good. And I think, I mean, I I wish rugby sort of would go more in that direction just generally. I, I wish there was a few RGs playing for, 
you know, the Waratahs, for example, or Japanese guys. But yeah, we're just stuck in this weird sort of regional, regionalistic, nas- national sort of view of things. But I think we got to, yeah, just move on and, and move with the times. But, you know, do it smartly. It's interesting that Jack t- touched on that, you know, it sounds like we're heading in that soccer or that football kind of direction where, you know, you can play wherever willy-nilly, but you can also still play internationally. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe rugby's heading down that route. Um, who knows? Um, let's move on to uh, to the next question uh, that uh, that we have here. And this is kind of the last pointer on, on this spring tour um, from Cactus Back. Um, and he talked about that kind of on this topic, leaning on into it nicely uh, on Twitter, he's, he asked the players that will be joining the, the squad throughout the Bledisloe, et cetera, were part of the squad a month before getting any game time. Um, what's the schedule in Europe likely to be? Mainly, when will the European players join the squad and will it actually be long enough to get more game time than you actually than, than you think? Um, I'm going to throw this one to Natho uh, to, kick, to kick us off with this one because there is a good point here and this is a, a point that we did lean on in terms of actual cohesion and time together in camp because... For all we know, uh, conversations are probably happening behind the scenes right now in regards to whether you know the likes of your European contingency will be on the squad, will be on the, will be on the team, uh, will be on that squad. But we still haven't had any game time together at all, and it's less than a month out from the kickoff of this said of said tour. We're kicking off against Japan um, on October twenty third. Um, what do we actually think about actual time together in the squad, um, and do you think it'll actually be long enough? to actually generate the cohesion that we want um, to get a scenario where, you know, you have those players like your skeletons and stuff being able to actually compete with the, with the guys who've been playing an entire season of rugby championship. It is a very good point. And again, I don't think you're going to get that, that schedule in Europe. I'm not sure if you're going to get those midweek games. I know they're not going to be proper games, but at least those trial games where you can see those guys, sort of how they work in a worldly system. It's like that was – people want to say sort of when you look at that rugby championship, oh, Craig Cooper's selection came out of nowhere, but it was watching him in that Western – in a Western Force trail in Perth and having that time together um, in, in those sort of scrimmage-style matches where you could, could see that that combination would work in a worldly setup. So, I mean, it's, it's a relatively short tour as well. When you consider, I think they've still got to do some sort of quarantine before heading into England, or yeah, whatever the first game yeah. is. So, and you have to wonder how long will, if that, if those sort of already European-based players will stay with them, and sort of do that quarantine through that quarantine period, or if, if it's going to be sort of a separate situation. And I, I've still sort of hold that belief that it's you're probably not going to get much time out of them in terms of game plan or in terms of on-field stuff. But I think it's going to be good in just kind of building those foundation steps and building, starting that cohesion. So getting them to understand what the combination is. And I think you'd probably target that last game when you look at someone like Sean McMahon spent, what, I think two and, two and a half weeks? I think he joined, was it the, for the first or second South African game or before? Yeah, I think so. Second, yeah, I think it was the second. Cool. I think yeah, it was wonderful. the second. Yeah. So that would, if you use a similar timeline there, that's about two and a half weeks that they've got him up to speed, and that was just off the bench. So you probably then look at that final game, 
of, of the tour and think that's probably the one you target to see some of those guys play. But I think it's just leading back to the point I made before. I think this is more of just keeping that window open and just saying, hey, we're, we're still keeping an eye on you. We still want you to come back home. This is the system we want to run. If you're interested, come back home. Or if we have a similar situation or we have injuries that happen, come in and we're confident they can kind of do the job. Maybe just also try and hit up a certain certain line of brother during that second English test and just say, hey, mate, we're still open. <laughs> Go before on. Eddie, before Eddie, Eddie decides right. just, to, yeah. just to absolutely S-house the situation and cap him against the- us, but... The audacity, the audacity of uh, of Mr. Jones, if he says, yeah, you know what, let's just give him one cap just to mess up with. Oh, he'll start against the Wallabies. Just purely. You're going to put money on that? <laughs> no. no, it's it's not a, reckon, it's not a talent. I reckon Rennie's flying up to uh, Martin first. Just, he'll do it. He'll do it just, just purely because he finds it funny. Bloody Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it, it would be a sad day to see that, but then on the sa- at the same time, if 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 Lina chooses to go down that route and uh, play against his and play against the Wallabies, he'd be going up against someone like either Kellaway, who's playing fantastic form, or bloody Corin Bede. Uh, it's not going to happen, but you, it's... which would be terrifying. I would like. I'd be worried about him. I would. I would just be like. Oof. That would be, I mean, no, no disrespect to 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 his abilities, but you know, anyone going up against Marika right now is it would be terrifying. Um, Nico, what are your thoughts on this one in terms of, you know, getting game time and stuff like that? Do you think it's it, this whole scenario is actually realistic, and do you reckon it will be enough uh, in terms of them in terms of actually getting game time for for those guys on the European side of things? Um. I mean, like we've covered this before. I'm I'm happy to, for him to for him Rennie to stick to the team that's winning. Yeah, I wish I you know Sean McMahon maybe had a few more minutes and Alessio had a few more minutes, but uh, yeah, I'm just happy for it to go. And I think it's like a good sort of oh, it's a good benchmark to say, hey, look, you know, when you're ready to play, you'll play. Um, so yeah, I yeah, I think it's great. Let's see how the tour goes. Yeah, you won't know until you know, which is, which you know, because I mean we're in we're in COVID times right now, so as as much as it makes sense to kind of bring in that European contingency, you never know until you until it actually happens. Um, let's lead on to this. Uh, let's jump onto this last question, and Jack, I'm going to throw to you for this one first because you and I talk about this this all the time uh, whenever we're whenever we catch up. Um. So earlier this week, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, there was an article that, that came out uh, in Fox Sports on Fox Sports of all places um, by Kirsty Doran, um, which basically talks about how there is currently plans underway to transform Australia's professional rugby um, kind of essentially uh, model. We the aim will be that we will start heading in a more uh, centralised. Uh, uh, model direction uh, with all team with uh, all teams kind of under the same centralized system similar to something that I- you see in New Zealand and also in Ireland um, 
it's an interesting article. Um, obviously, I take everything that, that Fox Sports writes with a grain of salt. Um, but it do, but if it is the case that it is happening, this is very interesting news um, in term and potentially very exciting news because we've talked a lot about over the years about how right now Australian rugby, you the it, wherever you go, wherever you play, is can often impact how you turn out as a player. Um, and there is no centralised system, and it is clear which teams are struggling in terms of actually managing their players properly. Um, the question is, you know, I mean, Scott Johnson mentioned in the past, I thought it was like a, you know, you take a force, you, we have, we, that's not the strategy that works, but now suddenly he's changed his tune on that. Do you think a centralised rugby model can actually work in Australia? Jack, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, can anyone tell me what Scott Johnson actually does? He's director of rugby, I think. Yeah, uh, director of, yeah. yeah director of oh, rugby. Says. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I like it. Um, if it's, you know, half of what he says is true, then I think we're, you know, um, well on our way to getting everyone on the same page. And um, hopefully that, you know, trims the fat and um, we get a more streamlined um, pathway, uh, more collaboration between the unions Um and just a um, you know a one focus going forward for Australian rugby um, un- under the umbrella. Um, it's um, I think it hints that they are probably going to scrap the Gitto law, and they're looking to you know solidify the the Super Rugby Foundation before that happens. So you know making making it so that you know we can squeeze squeeze you know most amount of juice out of you know the playing stocks um and the systems that we have here um i think i think i think the the main talking point coming out of that article was you know the player swapping and all that sort of stuff but i i don't see that as as being such a big deal as everyone else thinks um you look at the irish method um there's examples of you know joey carberry um getting stuck behind um johnny sexton at leinster so they moved him on to um, I think Munster, um, but the, they those sorts of moves were were far um, uh, in between, and I, and I think this whole centralisation thing is more focused on um, yeah getting our ducks in a row, um, lining it up. Hopefully, you know, having a solid program uh, um, that you know private investors can invest in, and all this sort of stuff. So I think it ties up a lot of loose ends. Um, I wonder if there'll be like a uh, you know, speaking on the players, um, switching and all that sort of stuff. Wonder if that it'd be exciting to see them, you know, introduce a player loan or transfer system um, going forward, and and how that, you know, how that uh, moving and shifting players works within, you know, each club, and whether the force will be included in this, considering they're they're privately owned. So very interesting de- developments. I think that article uh, highlight says that all five franchises. Uh, were consulted and seem to be on board with this from what I've heard, which would be fantastic if that's the case because, you know, we, um, we were worse off for the force being kicked out, in my opinion. Um, they've shown since they've come back that, that yes. they have so much value they can, they can bring to, you know, to rugby in Australia, um, not the least of which as well that, you know, fans over in, in, in the West really showed their, their hand and how much they loved that club and kept that club alive. Um, Nick... What are your thoughts on uh, on this centralised rugby model? We've been kind of watching, you know, this from the side for a long time. Um, you know, we, you and I have chatted with folks in Clubland um, and have chatted with folks in, 
you know, players in Super Rugby um, and how everyone's experience, you know, uh, up until this point was different um, depending on where you were. What are you, what are your thoughts on this model strategy? Do you think it's a do you think it's a potential winner? Well, I I I have no idea of how it's currently working or what sort of the structures are and uh, and basically how they align, you know, what the Reds are doing with Waratahs are doing when it comes to Wallabies time. Um it appeared like it's always appeared to just be a mess. Um because it is. It is a mess. <laughs> yeah, but like two years ago, like didn't check it send everyone to a fitness camp because no one was fit enough or didn't that yeah. happen last year with Rennie? Like, no, no, just... no, that was, that was red. That was uh, that was checker. Like, like, so basically there was no consultation happening between basically every team is managed by the respective state union. So, you know, reds are managed by the QRU. Um, uh, Waratahs are managed by New South Wales rugby. Um, Victoria VIU, um, etc., and each one of them runs to their own strategy, has their own player management programs, has their own, you know, um, different yeah. things, that, and they all do it, it kind of like different chiefdoms all over the place. Um, yeah, and, 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 just, and with the only player welfare being the one thing that they all consult together on. Yeah, so it's just crazy that's not there. Um, I think to answer Jack's question, Scott Johnson just looks at the broader scope of things whereas I think Dave Rennie's remit is this coach on the Wallabies and Scott you know he says Scott I need three fly halves or whatever and so Scott's working on that and trying to get another fly half in whatever I think that that's Scott Johnson's remit um and I think there is a loan at the uh Brett Mackay told me once that there is a loan system in place kind of but yeah like it's just great to see this happening and and hopefully it's just more apparent um and more transparent and i'm actually surprised they managed to pull it off let's see how it works because new zealand and ireland are two they're different countries in terms of demographics to us you know uh, ireland has dublin which has most of the population and it's easier to tie it together because it's not that hard to travel to all four uh provinces and in new zealand it's the same with auckland with maybe you know canterbury being an outlier because they produce so much of the talent but in Australia, it's a bit hard because there is that Sydney, uh, Queensland sort of uh, separation. But it's great that they've done this, um, and I'm looking forward to what they can do. I do think it's it's interesting you mentioned this, and I, I look, and I do want to give credit to. In, we did talk about you know how things were different under Checker, um, you know during that time. But there was one thing that I think Checker did did highlight during his tenure which was that there was a need for for something like this and i know it was interesting to note that during his time he would be getting all of his assistant coaches to travel around and visit all of the respective uh, super rugby franchises and basically say this is how i want the players to to be at this level um when it comes to international season and this is what we want to do here and this is what we want to do there and this sounds like that rugby australia may have looked at that or seen what new zealand are doing um and or seeing what Ireland are doing and going, yeah, we need more of this. We actually need to to sort this out because this should have happened a long time ago. Nathan, what are your thoughts on this in terms of actual talent coming through uh, this centralised model? Because you know, as mentioned, we, you know, each each state has got their own respective premier club competition. Um, there is of of course the question of you know what what the that bridging comp looks like in our, you know your NRC competition. Um, which you know had success in certain, in some states, but uh, not in others. Um, 
where do you reckon how do you reckon this the centralized rugby model would work for something like that in terms of player actual players coming through i think that can, it can only benefit that i think if, when you look at a centralized model i think a lot of a central theme when you when you listen to coaches talk about it is establishing that sort of gap between club and super rugby competition so to have a potential competition that is also hopefully not construct like constricted to your regular sort of borders in the sense of we don't have a new south wales country team that is playing just new south wales players you can maybe sort of sprinkle a talent across that it may, sure maybe you don't do it at a super rugby level although the sort of the chaos inside me wants wants to see like three team trades and just that's as soon as these questions come up I've spent the afternoon just trying to figure out what would work best and it's out of chaos and it's great. But I think the NRC is a great <laughs> NRC is a great way to sort of I think oh if you can bring something back like this and centralize the system is you can really trial those combinations that you might not see or get see players in different systems and sort of see how they work and see how they shine. You look at a team like the Waratahs and if you can, hopefully a centralized system can create a second tier competition or you can see potentially a Waratah side where you have, in my opinion, three quality, if they reach their potential super rugby fly halves, which haven't, aren't that, that developed in Donaldson, Harrison and Tane Edmund, who people haven't had a lot, lot to say, but I think he's a really good talent. Is you? I think a system, like a centralized system, would allow those guys to get that game time, whether it's in a, in a second tier or even potentially having a loan system. I wouldn't mind seeing an, an Edmund make a move to a Western Force and work behind sort of Sampson and sort of see the development there. Or you know, if you can just sort of maybe stop a, some sort of congestion that might be happening. I know we, 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 as you were saying, in system and Ireland, it's rare that you see those players move. But if you see, if it can allow maybe, look, I think the example I threw out was um, you move Jock Campbell down to the Waratahs to allow Geordie Bataille to play fullback. If you can use it, I, I think if you can really use that system to create opportunities to sort of not only strengthen all five Super Rugby teams, but sort of provide opportunities to players that might be stuck behind others. I think it, it can only benefit sort of rugby heading forward whilst also sort of cleaning up the pathways. Yeah. Look, it's – this is an interesting one. And, you know, if I put myself out on the line here on this one, this should have happened years ago. If this is going to happen, my thoughts on this, we've been – I've been hoping for something potentially like this to happen – for years, for years, it's been something that, you know, it's it, for so many years we've shot ourselves in the foot with our player development because we have not been all on the same page. We're all working separately, um, and rugby, like anything, you work better when you when you work together. Um, and I think that it makes sense for there to be a centralized model when it comes to our professional examination of this game of, of you know exam you know the professional examination of Australian rugby. Um, it's the responsibility to this. We need a centralized system to manage our professional teams from, you know, from that NRC comp, which interacts with those really important premier club competitions, strengthens them to super rugby, strengthening those competitions to the Wallabies. Um, you know, 
I take this with a real grain of salt. And I think it's interesting as well, you know, Andy Marinos, you know, Rugby Australia boss, uh, he made a, a really interesting admission in June um, where he talked about um, how uh, he really hopes to establish a new second tier competition. Um, and this was talking to the Australian, um, you know, back in June and that, you know, he believed at, at the time when he was chatting about it at the, at the time, he, you know, he, he at the, there was a focus initially to begin with on, you know, trying to really strengthen those club competitions. But now c- kind of realizing now that we've actually got a big NRC shaped hole in the site, um, in our, in our development pathways between club and super rugby, He's kind of. Uh, he, he, it was interesting just to see the fact that he said that there's a there needs to be something there, and it makes sense that under this centralized model, you have something that gives those players that chance to be competitive, but also it basically gives the chance for everyone to say, if you're here in Australia, you're not going to get some. You're not the days of you know being like Mac Mason who got left behind at the Reds and then left behind at the Waratahs. Um, are going to be like hopefully those days are numbered. You have the chance to become a fantastic player under in the in the Australian uh, rugby system. You have the chance to reach your full potential in the Australian rugby system. Um, having a centralised model like this, I really hope it works, and I really hope that you know. Obviously, this is one article, and uh, but you know, I hope a central model like this comes to fruition because uh, God, we need it. God, we need it um, right now. <sighs> All right. Well, I think that's uh, that has hit us with pretty much all of the Q and A questions that we'll cover this week. Um, and uh, thank you to all of our listeners who who throw the, who throw those questions out, who threw the questions out there. We appreciate it. Um, we're probably going to take a week or so off um, until uh, until the the Wallabies uh, are back in action uh, this uh, when they head to Japan to play. Uh, on Saturday, the 23rd of October. Um, but in between that period, uh, we will, uh, we're going to have a sneaky interview or two. We're going to put out a, an interview podcast or two. So you will not be without uh, rugby content uh, in the interim period between now and that Japan test tour. Um, but yeah, following that Japan t- game, uh, we've got, uh, we've of course got the game against Scotland uh, on the 8th of November followed by the game against England and then finishing it off uh, the game uh, with the of the year uh, the game against Wales uh, on the 21st of November um guys final final thoughts for this upcoming Japan game because uh, we'll probably you know next time we'll we'll reconvene will probably be just before that Japan game or maybe just a bit afterwards um Jack your thoughts on that final thoughts on that Japan game gonna smash them <laughs> Not even, not even, not even hesitating. <laughs> nah, love to see Andy Muirhead get a run against them as well. I think he'd go really well. More Brumbies, that's what we say. More Brumbies. Um, Natho, final thoughts. In the words of Al Davis, just win, baby, win. I don't care how. I don't care what squad happens. We need just find a way to win this game so we can go into it, go into a spring tour, confident and ready to take on the best Northern Hemisphere has to come on. Mm. Nico. Final thoughts? Uh, yeah, excited. Let's go. Let's go. Um, <laughs> do it. I uh, uh, But actually, I do have, I guess, a little shout-out to do. Um, mm-hmm. So America's, America's qualifying is happening. So Uruguay played USA. Argentina obviously qualified. So USA mm. played Uruguay, and I think 
they only beat them by two points. If I could quickly pull up the score. And um, Chile played Canada uh, and only lost by one point over in Canada. So, really? Second legs, yeah. So, yeah, so very exciting um, results in... Um, in the Americas. Yeah, the Americas. Yeah, it's great to see that I think maybe Argentina and South America are really just, you know, building decent teams. Not well beating teams, but decent mm. teams down there and really improving it. So that's really exciting to see. Mm. I just pull up the scores. It was results. Sorry, results. Well, you can tell that Uruguay team upset Fiji as well. I think that's a, that's a great Yeah, time. I remember that during the World Cup, yeah. Great time to see how US rugby's coming along, especially now that you have that MLR in place. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it, this reminds me of when we were chatting with Paul Tate um, a few, like about a couple of years back. We, I think, I think we are due, Nico, to have to have Paul Tate back on back on the drop kickoff for yeah. another interview because yeah. uh, he was talking a lot last time when about the development of of. This, this, the second tier nations around Argentina in the Americas sounds interesting. Yeah, he said um, they basically signed 30 guys on professional contracts <laughs> and just so they could finally have a group of fellas that all they did was play rugby and train. And it looks like mm. it's paying off. So I've got the scores here uh, USA 19, Uruguay 16. So that's a great result for Uruguay. Um, and America's going down to Uruguay to play them. And a uh, winner of that. Game, I think, automatically qualif- uh, qualifies in the World Cup. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Canada, 22, Chile, 21. And this was up in Vancouver. So Canada's gone down to Chile to play the second leg. And I think if if Chile, if Chile win or Canada win, they go and play a Pacific Islander team. I think it's Tonga um, mm. to get to the World Cup. So, yeah, just great, mm. exciting news. Chile's coming up in the world. Yeah, great to see. Wouldn't it be awesome if they made it? Yeah, it would actually. Because, I mean, it's been a little while since we've had, you know, multiple second-tier um, America's teams make it, you know, particularly from South America. It's always like you always get Uruguay that comes in, and Uruguay and Argentina usually the, the teams from that part of the world. But it would be nice to have Chile come in as well. Yeah, it's always like Uruguay and, uh, like, Namibia and, and like Tonga or Namib- something, you know. Namibia's like... in Africa. Namibia's in Africa, mate. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> those, yeah, they're always in the World Cup. Just nice to be, change it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would, it would definitely be a reflection on on the growing on the nature of how the game is definitely growing worldwide, uh, which is which would be good. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, but interesting times. But yeah, um, uh, this will be uh, our last podcast until that Japan uh, that Japan game for at least for a little while. But we will have a uh, we'll have an interim interview podcast that will come through. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but cheers, boys! Thanks once again for for joining me for another episode of the Dropped Kickoff for another Q and A. Um, and to all of our listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, go to the Wallabies for the next match, and uh, we will catch you the next time around. Hey, Ray. See ya. Bye. Every time. <laughs> but what did go wrong? I'll have to look look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sirly Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sirly Bombo, very good, very good. <laughs>